Father, it's in the silence of life that we get to hear you most clearly. It's in the quietness that we experience you speaking to us in ways that busyness has crowded out your voice. But Father, if we're honest, that oftentimes the still and quiet moments are scary to us. Father, in part because of how we view you. We don't always view you as trustworthy. And so we fear what it is that you'll tell us about ourselves or reveal to us about who you are that would demand that we change our lives. Father, I pray that you would be so gracious to us this morning to remind us that it is in the silent and quiet places that we find you. That it's in those very moments that you remind us of your great love and your care and your gentleness, Lord. That it's in those moments that we feel your warm embrace in our lives, God. And Father, it is in truly in your presence that we experience the fullness of joy. Father, as we engage in your word, would we not view this as a time where worship is over? Father, no, we're just getting started. Would we continue to worship you as we hear your word and we hear the testimonies of your people about how, Lord, even when the walls of life were caving in, Father, you remained steady. That you were able to keep us, that you were able to preserve us, and that you are with us. Father, would that send us on our way, especially those who find their lives feeling like they're just falling apart. Father, would you show us the strength, your strength this day, that our confidence would not lie in our own abilities, but they would lie in who you are and what you're able to do. We ask it on Jesus' name. Amen. You will remain standing. I know we've been standing for a while. Remain standing. Uh, today we're going to be in Psalm 60, 62. And this psalm has become dear to my heart because I've recognized that even in my own life, I find that though I know that there's an answer for the darkest and deepest moments of my life, oftentimes I don't run to the very hope that we've been given through our son, Jesus Christ. And David today will remind us of a, a hope far, that extends far beyond our circumstances, but a hope that allows us to remain firm and stand firmly upon who God is and what he's done for us. Psalm, 60, uh, Psalm 62 reads as follows. It says, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They, they take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my strong, excuse me, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. My salvation and glory depend upon God. My strong rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Common people are only a vapor. Important people, an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken once. I have heard this, I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to the God. 
and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. Amen. You guys may be seated. Life can be heavy at times. Live long enough and you'll wind up in a place where you question whether or not the reality or the things that you know about God and your experience of them aren't seeming to line up. The pressures of life can produce, even in the Christian, this level of weariness, this level of fatigue where it's, we get tired of having to trust God. We get tired of hearing about God's goodness, but my life is Speaking a different language. Our weariness in trusting God at times, especially when we feel as though there's no end in sight of our circumstances, can lead to feeling like we've reached our, bro- our breaking point. In our weariness, we can start to believe that the answers to life's problems are found in the removal of them. And not only the removal of them, but our, our attempts to remove them by any means necessary. Or that our ability to actually find rest is found outside of the storm and not in the midst of it. Psalm 62 can be best categorized as a psalm of trust. There's this category of psalms, and this one in particular, which state a crisis but also add a word of assurance to us, even though the crisis has not passed completely. There's this declaration of trust by the psalmist that's going to remind us that we can stand and rest in God despite the storms of life and what they appear, or how powerful they appear. With the type of problems mentioned in the life of this psalmist, you might expect to experience a strong lament God, why? God, how could you? But you won't find that here. Rather, the lament seems to have faded into the background and has only moved into a place of absolute confidence. God is who he says he is. And for that, if God is who he says he is, then that means that he is worthy of our worship and praise despite our circumstances. This psalm is meant to be an encouragement meant for us that find us in the dark ditch of trials and of pain. It's meant to encourage us that God is still good and he answers the prayers of his children. This psalm is an expression of faith. And it, but it doesn't cry as one who has received victory yet. It sketches out for us the path to victory But it doesn't necessarily lead us all the way there. There's a rarity in the psalm in the sense that David is not proclaiming to have experienced something on the other side of victory. But rather he's saying, I've experienced victory right in the midst of my circumstance. Three things that we're going to look to today in this text. We're going to look at David's, his, the first point, his reflex. What does David run to? How does he respond to his circumstance and who does he Go to. Secondly, we're going to look at his resolve. How does David preserve and keep enduring in the midst of hardship? And then thirdly, we're going to look at his restraint. What does, God, what does David not run, run to? 
What does David not place his hope in? The text begins with such a beautiful declaration, an affirmation of where he finds himself in his current situation as he says, I am at rest in God alone. You may hear that today and you may be like, that is a great declaration. That sounds so amazing, but I don't necessarily believe that 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 could be my reality. I find it hard to think that when life is falling apart, that there's a place where I can say that I'm at rest. And not only is there a place that I can say that I'm at rest, but, but that God is the means by which I can obtain that rest. It sounds so sweet to our ears and appealing to our desires, but it doesn't necessarily sound applicable. We might dismiss this, though, and put it into a category of churchy cliches. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm at rest in the Lord. What does that really mean? You're at rest in God. I think in order for us to understand what David is communicating to those who would hear this song playing in the temple courts over and over and over again, David intends to encourage them. David is king, and so there's no, there's no lack of ignorance as to what David's life has looked like. Those who will hear this song know exactly who David is, his journey into becoming king, but they also know David's business. They know the scandal that followed David, and they know that David has clearly been open and honest about the ongoing consequences of his sin. The first thing that we have to understand in order to fully understand what David is talking about is that in the Hebrew, the word used here for rest actually means to wait. It means this position of humble submission to an authority outside of themselves. David is saying that I'm, I've made a decision to only look to God for rest, which in turn means I've made a decision to only wait on God to respond. The second thing that we see here is that word for alone is better interpreted as only. David is not looking anywhere else but to God to meet his present need. So if we were to put that into its proper place, the first verse should read, Only in God does my soul wait in silence. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. It's easy to claim things like that when life is great. When things are going well on the job, when you got that pay raise, when you found that spouse that you've been praying for, it's easy to say, man, I'm at peace. I'm at rest in God. But David's claim comes under this circumstances that in verses 3 and 4 would leave many of us broken and weak and frail. He says that, will all of you attack? Now, speaking directly to his enemies. As if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence. How many of you have experienced times where in your weakest moments you feel as though the assault intensifies? In the moments of life where it feels as though I'm one decision away from ruining it all, it feels as that the walls come crashing down. David is saying that my enemies have preyed upon me so well that they know that in my weakness, 
This is the right opportunity to attack. They only plan to bring him down from his high position, for they take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Selah. David lets us into the reality that this particular type of trial is ongoing. There are certain things that come in our lives, that happen in our lives, that there's an expiration date to it. We know that if we lose a job, that eventually we'll end up getting another one. We know that if we break up with somebody, that eventually, well, at least a high possibility, that somebody else will come along. But there are also trials in our lives that have no end in sight. The diagn- the, the being diagnosed with cancer. Losing a family member. Not being able to have a child. There's no, re- there's no recognition or there's no real eye in sight of God. How long will this continue? David feels that very same pain as he asks, how long will these people who smile in my face, how long will these people who are serving on my team, how long will these people who act as though my, they're my friends keep secretly plotting against me? David writes to us in song as kind of the OG who's trying to put us on on life experiences. Last week, Pastor John and Pastor Mo, we got a chance to sit down with uh, Pastor Crawford Loritz um, and really just pick his brain for about an hour. And as we had breakfast with him, there's just something unique about talking to somebody who has been in the game for a long time. It's something life-giving to know of somebody who has been through 50 plus years of walking with the Lord and that can speak into your life in a way to where it actually has teeth. It's not just hypothesizing. It's not just clever speech. It's life experience. And so as we talked and he asked us, man, how are you guys doing? Each of us went one by one and just shared about where we currently found ourselves in family and in life and just with our own souls. And I remember sharing how you know, there was, this was just a season where I felt weary, where I felt as though I'm going through the motions with God, but I'm not encountering him in a real way that's bringing about life. And it had been situations around me that I feel I was pressing in that, that if one more thing happened, I feel it, felt as though my, my faith would break. And Pastor Crawford so carefully and so gently told us, he said, brother, in a couple years, you're going to look back at this moment and realize that it was necessary. That God has you exactly where he wants you. And that there's actual hope that one day you'll look back and say, God, it was in that moment. It was in that frailty that I actually experienced your strength. That I was positioning you to experience me in deeper and more intimate ways. This is what David is doing for us. He's testifying to us that I've been in the valley and I found God to be there with me. I've been to the valley and I found God to bring me to the peak. And the one thing that's current and constant is that regardless of whether you find yourself in the valleys or at the peaks of the mountain, God remains faithful. He says, I am at rest in God alone. Brothers and sisters, David is going to turn the rest upside down. 
Many of us, when we think of resting or waiting patiently on something, it means that um, it could mean that we desire to have a few days where we can veg out on our favorite Netflix series. Or rest would be, can I sleep in for at least two or three days until 10 p.m., 8 o'clock if you have kids. Oftentimes, we think of rest as the uh, elimination of our problems, that if this would just go away, everything would be all right. But how many of you have gone on vacation to escape the pressures of life only to come back just as stressed and even more tired? You need a vacation from the vacation. That's not what David is referring to here. One theologian describes it best. He says that rest refers to the entirety of his being becoming still in submission to God. That the noises of contending desires, the whispers of earthly hopes and ambitions, the murmurings of nearsighted fears, the self-asserting assents of insisting will are quieted. All are hushed. And who you are waits quietly for the voice of God. It's the act of turning one's whole self or turning one's whole being off of circumstance and towards God. I like to garden. And so unlike Mo and John, um, I enjoy nature. And so in enjoying nature, one of the things, uh, we just moved into our new house, and so I bought a bunch of shrubs and trees, and I had a friend come help, help me plant them. And so we're digging in this clay, and we're digging, we're digging, and then after we're done, I just look back outside, and I realize that one of my plants was facing the wrong direction. I had bought this beautiful purple elephant ear plant that was going to grow about 10 feet tall and all this other stuff, and it was facing the wrong way. The sun would rise from the south and come over the plant from the north, but it's facing the fence. And so immediately my thoughts were, oh, this plant's going to die. And so I contemplated, well, if I just dig it up and I remove it from its soil, then I could just turn it the right way and it'll be okay. But if you know anything about elephant ears, you know that the plant's roots are very fragile. That if I removed it from its current circumstance, that there was the danger of actually destroying the plant. And so I left it right where it was. And as I watered it and I put fertilizer around it day by day, honestly, unbeknownst to me, I started to see those leaves slowly straighten up. As the sun kept coming on the plant, I started to see it strengthening and changing direction. Till one day, the the plant that once faced the north was facing the south in order to see the sun. See, the circumstance didn't change, but the direction of the plant's attention did. As the sun hovered over, the the plant said, in order for me to survive, I've got to point in a new direction. This is what David is telling us. This is what David is reminding us, that your circumstances aren't going to be the thing that bring about true rest. And that's scary. Waiting on God is hard. It's hard because if we did it ourselves, we could ultimately get to our, get to the ultimate place that we desire a lot quicker. We believe God moves too slow, and so because God moves too slow, we've got to take things into our own hands. 
But that's how we naturally respond to trials. We are the cockroach that gets trapped in a cup, and as it's in this cup, it's just scratching, 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 trying to get out. Or we're the child who, on a long bus ride, constantly asks, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, we're not there. Ten more minutes. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We don't want to go to God for rest because secretly we're angry at him for putting us in this situation. How could you allow this to take place, God? And some of us in here are too spiritual to actually confess that with our lips. We know too much to actually, in a state of vulnerable honesty, tell God, God, I'm angry at you. How could you allow this to happen to me? What are you angry at God about? Don't think of angry as cursing him out. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. Think of angry as withholding devotion. Think of your anger as laying aside things that clearly you know in God's word to be true, but you put a pause on your obedience. That's how our anger is fleshed out when it comes to God. If you find yourself there, you're in good company. David has not arrived at this place overnight. In fact, if you just read two chapters earlier in in Psalm 60, you'll see David doing that very thing. God, how could you allow us to suffer like that? God, you gave us drink to get us drunk. God, you blame, 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 blame. Two chapters earlier. But here David has experienced the supernatural working of God's spirit that he recognized that even in his complaints, Many of them were unjustified. God was still good, and it was in turning his attention to God that it was then that he found peace. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that God is just as present in the midst of your trials as he will be on the other side of them. God is just as present in your darkest and greatest pains as he is on the other side of them. That God is a God about entering into suffering and preserving faith and hope and our ability to see him as good despite the chaos that we see around us. This is a biblical theme. Think about Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego. That in their desire to honor and obey God, despite the king's ruling, they were thrown into the fire. And it was in their obedience that in the fire... Those who looked upon them didn't see those who were burnt up, but they saw those who were preserved. They looked and they saw a fourth person in the fire with them. The one who kept them and was near them and entered into their very situation. David says, it's okay to wait on God because I know whom my real help comes from. He goes on to say that my salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation and my stronghold. I will never be shaken. We see early on the object of David's faith, God. 
But now we see the confidence behind the God that David has faith in. My salvation. My rock. My stronghold. Two things David leans on that I think we have to take seriously. The first thing that David calls on in order to endure is the character of God. David knows his God. David knows things about who God is based on what God has revealed to him. Look at how he describes him. Rock, stronghold, deliverer, rescuer. David is revealing that theology is so much more than our ability to impress other people. David is revealing to us that his, what he knows about the nature of God is meant for more than winning arguments. David is revealing to us that his understanding of who God is is the very rock and firm foundation that will keep him from falling. It's the only thing that will keep us standing when the walls and the winds come crashing down. Brothers, sisters, what you know about God and what you don't know will impact the way that we live. It will impact the decisions that we make. It will impact the way that we love one another. This is why being a part of a healthy church is so important. That our time together on Sunday isn't just out of routine, but it's about the saints coming together to be reminded of who God is. It's for us to sit and hear about the goodness of God and what his son Jesus Christ has done for us so that we can endure when those winds come crashing. It is an opportunity for us to learn about who God is, but not just in here on Sunday, during your Wednesday night connection groups, in your interactions with one another around the table. It's in those times where you begin to grow in confidence about the character of God. But we've got to get serious about it. Some of us, we can often have so much information about God that we're no longer impressed by him. We're no longer moved in, in, in greater desire for intimacy because we're like, God, I, I have, I've got enough. I'm good. I've got all the right books listen to all the right sermons. I know how to use all the right language. God, I'm good. You know the problem with putting your confidence on those, on a theology that stays on the shelf? Is that when tragedy comes, it'll expose you. Eventually, life reveals whether or not we actually believe the things that come out of our mouth. So a great, as your pastor, a great, a great place to start is that I fully understand the danger and the slippery slope it can be to, like, hear God's word on a daily but never put it into practice. How we know we should be doers of the word and not hearers of the word, and yet we find ourselves only hearing and never doing. And we've been able to get by the opportunity that you have today is to confess that's where you're at. The opportunity that we have today is to confess that I've been living a life of hypocrisy. And that there doesn't have to be fear in it. 
because everybody has been in that place. There doesn't have to be fear or concern about how others will view you or, or what positions you'll lose because we all know that we're prone to be bombarded by truths about God, but yet never really put them into practice. But it's in that moment of confession and honesty that we can really receive the love and embrace of God. That if we would confess to one another, I find myself here, and then make effort to get around somebody else who can actually walk alongside us, who can actually help us understand the very truths that we can recite with our mouths but don't believe that that's a place of positioning ourselves to actually grow. That's a place of empowering ourselves and positioning ourselves to be able to endure the difficult times that will come. Oftentimes, God will allow us to remain in those difficult circumstances in order to break us, in order to break us of the arrogance and the pride and the mistrust that we have into wanting to please man more than we want to please God. And he leaves us there because he's trying to produce something in us. Dependence, greater devotion, intimacy with him and others. The second thing is, let us as a church go beyond the question of, hey, what are you learning this week? Let us take that one step further. Let us with sincerity ask one another, what are you applying this week in God's word? Like, what have you learned, but then what, how are you striving to actually put it into practice? They got quiet in here. And I think the reason it got quiet is because we don't ask those types of questions. We assume. We assume that the other person is good and actually walking with Jesus because of they're in the right environments or they're around the right people. But the reality is, let's be proactive in our concern for one another, of knowing that it's only in the living out of God's word that will bring about spiritual strength. But the second thing, David doesn't rely just on what he knows about God, but he takes it one step further. He reveals his confidence comes from knowing things about God, but also sharing in the inheritance of the things that he does know about God. He says, my stronghold, not God is a stronghold. He says, my salvation, not that God brings salvation. He says, my stronghold, not that God is a stronghold. In the Christian life, God is going to work in our lives in such a way to where he presses down the very truths that we've learned in our lives. That in order to actually imprint these very things that we know about God, he's going to put us in situations or he's going to allow situations to come that are going to force us to know him intimately in these ways. Do you believe that God wants that for you? Do you believe that God wants for you to be able to say, no, I know God is my provider because I've actually seen him provide. We got a chance to sit down with some friends, have dinner with them. And, you know, I, I had to confess that, man, so often I'm, I'm so forgetful about God's past work in my life. And so they were talking about just being in job transition and, they ask, hey, have you ever been in situations like that? And so Amanda and I, we got a chance to just go down memory lane, and we started talking about our journey of the early years of marriage, moving four times, having four kids, um, job loss, all these different things. And I recalled the, when we moved to Atlanta because we believed that God had called us to be a part of a church. We moved at the 
what we thought was the peak of the economy, only to find out that it was at the bottom. The economy here in Atlanta had crashed. And so we moved here with a bunch of families, and it took months, months before we could find a job. But I remember one day walking into my pastor's, our old pastor's house, and we walked up the stairs as we normally do after getting home, and at my door lie an envelope. No name on it or anything. And in that envelope, we opened it, and we found $1,000. Now, we asked our pastor, hey, who dropped this money off for us? He was like, they, didn't want it. they wanted to remain anonymous. And then on top of that, as we looked for where are we going to stay, we saw God open doors to provide really ways out of no ways, to provide housing for us and, and, and to receive checks in the mail and all these kind of things. And that's not to like boast in God's, in that being the only way that God can provide for you. But it does show that through those instances with God, my knowledge about God as a provider became an actual experience. That there's a dependability and a confidence that comes when you start reading about how God has interacted with his people and you actually start experiencing that for yourself. That the Christian life isn't meant to be contained in in intellectual conversations only. That the Christian life is so much more. It is an experience with a real being. That God is a person. And that as we walk with him Daily and momently, the truths that we read in Scripture become attached to our lives to where we can take hold and claim to the truths about who God is for ourselves. My God, our God, my provider, our provider, my rock, my, our rock, my shield and my protector, our shield and our protector. If you haven't tasted that yet, I encourage you to pray and ask that God, that would be your reality. I'm speaking to Christians first. Pray that that would be your reality, that when you search the scriptures, you would seek to find God. And if you don't know Jesus yet, would you hear the invitation to you that God is real? And he sends an invitation out to you and I and those who don't know him and said, come to me, those who are weary, come to me, those who need rest, that I want you to know me personally and intimately, and I want to invite you into relationship and surround you with a family. This is a picture of what God does when he brings together people who love him, people from all walks of life, and unites us as a family. If you find yourselves here, Unrest in your thoughts, battling fear, uncertainty. A practical thing that you can do. Get away somewhere quiet. Take your journal, leave your phone behind, and literally just go somewhere where you won't be interrupted. And in that time, with your Bible, the notepad, just simply read a verse. Stop, and then meditate on what that verse is actually saying. Think about what God is speaking and what God is saying to you. And then just sit there in silence. Sit there for a few moments, maybe 30 minutes. Some of you just cringed. Five minutes. And then just write down what it is that you believe God is speaking to you.
if you're like me and you're forgetful, ask a close friend who's seen your life enough to know how God has been at work and ask him, brother, sister, I'm struggling with being able to recall how God has been at work in my life. Would you help me? How have you seen God at work in my life in this particular area? What does his past faithfulness look like for me? And actually believe him when they say it. We need one another. David's reflex is to turn to God and wait for his command. And when he does that, when we actually go to God and we look at him rather than our circumstances, when we look at our circumstances again, don't they seem that much smaller? Doesn't it put it in perspective that there is actually a God whom if my attention is set on him, that's in control of all of this. And so I can rest. I can rest. I spent way too much time on that first point. I'm like, I got five minutes left, y'all. Five minutes left. And the reality, y'all, is this. As we see in the life of David and as well as for many of us who can testify about that in our very own lives. David wants to remind us of two other things. The second is his resolve. Verses 5 and 8. Let's read those. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I will not be shaken. David approaches it a little differently this time. He made a declaration of his rest in God, but now he turns and he makes a command to his soul to rest in God. The very two things that we can learn from this and that we as Christians, as we mature, that we need to do, uh, get good at is one, being able to preach to ourselves. We've got to be able to encourage ourselves when nobody else is around to say, I know what I'm going through right now, but I don't have anybody else to lean on. It's just me, God, in this circumstance. How can I encourage myself and remind myself of the very truths that I find in this word? The second thing is that we need to fight. What you're experiencing is normal. What you're experiencing is not unfamiliar to anybody else in this room. When you encounter hardship, when you encounter difficulty, fight. God has actually given us means to endure. He's given us his word. He's given us the ability to pray. He's given us other people. But he's also given us the ability to actually pour our hearts out before him. To release the burden that we carry so that we can experience the true freedom that only he can provide. He says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. The heart free of burdens is a heart finally at peace. If you were to find yourself in this quiet, still moment with God. You'll find that as you speak with him, your guard will go down. You'll find and you'll learn that God is trustworthy and I can trust him even with this circumstance because I can really look to him as one who's experienced it. It's in Jesus that we look at the perfection of what trusting the father can look like all the time. A son that would come and suffer on our behalf, experience trials, experience betrayal, and yet still remain singularly devoted to God. The 
guarded prayers at their root is pride. God knows exactly how you feel and where you're at. Just because it doesn't come out of your mouth doesn't know that God does, doesn't mean that God doesn't know you're there. What's preventing you from being honest with him? What's preventing you from actually writing down or verbalizing how you feel about life and what's going on? We don't have to wait to the other side of the storm in order to be encouraged. The other reality that we see here in the text is that we don't have to wait until we get to the other side to actually invite people into the storm. Far too often our pride prevents us from actually allowing others to see God's goodness in the midst of the storm. Because we think we're protecting ourselves or that we're protecting God, but in all actuality, we're doing God a disservice. And we're doing others a disservice by Encourage or teaching them that I can't be fully honest about where I'm at until I experience the victory that I hope to find. No, but God, brothers and sisters, let's do better. Let's actually invite people into our circumstances. It's in the ugliness that people and ourselves can see the beauty of a living God. And lastly, we see his restraint. David has made a proclamation and a declaration of who he is. He's also told us and revealed to us how we can persevere, <coughs> persevere how we can endure. And now he gives us a few things that we should restrain from. Common people are only a vapor. Important people an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than vapor. People will fail you, so don't lean too heavily on them. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. Just because you have the means to alleviate the problem doesn't mean you, you should actually use those means. Abuse of power and choosing a life even of crime will leave you hopeless. But also, finally, if wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. Don't build your security on something that will fade away. God has spoken once, and I've heard this twice. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his work. God's ability to save and fix things will not diminish over time. Strength belongs to him. His love and commitment doesn't waver in times of difficulty. God will ultimately reign justice on every single thing that deserves it. David stands in waiting for the fulfillment of these promises, but we can look to Jesus to see the perfect fulfillment of everything that he longed for. We see Jesus, the Son of Man, the full deity of God wrapped in human flesh, a power restrained and preserved for the purpose of and led by faithful love to his father, one, but also to demonstrate to you and I. And it was on the cross that we saw justice performed. That the sins and the wickedness that you and I deserve on the cross were satisfied. That the wrath of God was poured out against them and Jesus absorbs all of that in order to offer us freedom. In order to offer us true rest. Other things in this life can give temporary satisfaction. Jesus and trusting in him is the only thing 
that can give us permanent rest and satisfaction. The invitation is extended. All can come. All can know God personally and intimately that there is rest and strength to endure the greatest of difficulty. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you that we can be encouraged to trust you as one who is ultimately trustworthy. Father, we, um, we stand here helpless and needy to you, knowing that there's so many things going on in each of our lives that we've never even spoken of. Father, I pray that today would be a time where we find you to be the one who enters into our suffering, Lord, and provides the strength to endure. That the true hope that we have in your son, Jesus Christ, is that one day all of our um, circumstances will be made new. All of our pain will be removed. All of our suffering will be gone. That one day we will stand with you and be with you in perfect peace and perfect rest. Help us to run to you and to turn to you in the most difficult of times, knowing that you, God, are with us.